Welcome, this is Tevo of Tevo Creative Leadership and the DFW Leader Online Ministry Fellowship at online, excuse me, onlinefellowship.us. We're here today to just seek the counsel of the Lord in every, for every person's ministry, every person's leadership, whether you're a lay leader or a pastor, a pioneer of a new work. Uh, we're just taking our hats off to all of you who lead because the day is difficult, the days can be mean, and the days can be very long and lean. So we're trying to keep a perspective and addressing every message in a submitted sila, as opposed to religious dogma to every person who, le- who <laughs> listens. And we know you're leading somewhere. You're leading by example. You're leading as a parent uh, an authority figure, a business, an officer, or whatever. So we're talking to you, whoever has an ear to hear, but within that group, the Christian, Christ-following, you-must-be-born-again style. And because if it if it doesn't work with you, it doesn't work with me, then it's not going to work for a representation of Christ on this earth. And we're looking at family. We're looking at community. We're looking at big and small macro macro overview to micro ministry mega i've been around them all cosmopolitan metroplex backwoods piney woods preacher all right i've been around because of god's that means rural i grew up with people who are not born in the country but were sent to pioneer work my pastor father in the country it used to be in that part of the area rural i call it piney woods because there really were pine trees around <laughs> and then i met many people who were raised like that you know and there's different styles and types but right now with the global cell wi-fi internet and people locating from all parts of the globe everybody needs to be really ready for anybody anywhere to come and see your vacant lot or house for sale nearby and find out from farthest part of North America, South America, Middle East, Russia, Europe, Eastern Europe, India, South Africa, Africa, any nation, any part, any kind of faith, is ready to come over and say, you know what, I feel like I want to invest in that land and buy that property. And then they're going to move in, and they're going to bring their people, and you're going to meet them face-to-face. You're going to have global ministry right where you live on your corner. Whether it's your doctor, whether it's your professor, whether it's your uh, fellow student, fellow man, fellow human at the store, there they'll be, and you'll be there too. So it's important we get ready and search our own hearts. And so I address this to the Christian, the must-be-born-again Christian, because we want to have our heart's relationship ready. Really, that means right before God first in the fear of the Lord, the holy, gentle, genuine fear of the Lord, which is a respect for authority, discernment, a respect for all people. We want to get rid of our any type of mean streak, we need to be right. We're religious and we're right. I'm trying the opposite. I said I'm trying hard not to be religious because I know I'm not always right. So we're submitting it out because of the flavor and the atmosphere of what's left over from former moves that maybe started off pretty good. But with TV and time and other people twisting the doctrine or making a 
you know, whatever, a celebrity out of it or a big deal to hit people on the head like dogma, a religious dogma. We're not involved in that. I'm not going to be. I'm apolitical for politics, but for both sides. You are a witness to the Lord. You have a let the Lord deal with them and let him tell them who to vote. But it's our point to have a respectful, holy fear of the Lord without being holier than thou or religious and right all the time. I was teaching on James because I teach on relationship theology. If we're getting over, repent from resentment, from backstories of what used to happen or used to be in our family, our neighborhood, and the used to be, I got to be right all the time. And let's get back to all the, get rid of the racism, the bias, the chauvinism, the disrespect for females and males and different earth suits and colors and grandmas and past denominational interactions, all sorts of things, and just get right with the Lord and the fear of the Lord, then act accordingly, because our Bible says that Jesus quoted in the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. That means they shall perceive or see and discern him clearly, watching and working on their behalf, upholding them. And we want you to be ready for the relationships in your network, your life, so that it will give glory to God and bring people closer to the Christ who saves us from ourselves, who saves us from being religious, who saves us and gives us strength to be, James 3.17, abiding in all relationships, and we can improve in it at least. We're never going to be 100% perfect. We're going to talk on that because we want to get really ready and then think, how can you translate a lot of this over to schools? Bullying, anywhere there's Aki's divorce, fellowship infighting, pastors and other leaders, pastors and lay, doctrinal differences, racial bias, other faiths, people that are offended, people that hate themselves, down on themselves, all that is the representation of mass accusation instead of acceptance or healing. James 3.17 says, and here's our role model, this is a great example, a great verse for discernment of people's relationship fruit, even under pressure, when it's not easy, when they're acting hostile and you're not. Do we represent the Messiah who would not judge by the sight of his eyes, who delighted himself in the fear of the Lord. This is Luke, excuse me, Isaiah 11, 2 and 3, the prophecy of the Christ, Messiah. Are we going to act, delight ourselves in the fear of the Lord and not judge by the sight of our eyes or make decisions based on what we hear? No gossip, no backbiting, no accusation with your prophetic, peerish, seerish powers, whatever this is, judging from afar the weirdness of some of the types of things that have gone on. <laughs> oh, Lord. Then we want to say, do we have the strength to be pure in heart? It takes strength and power, Holy Spirit power, Holy Spirit dynamite to guard our lips, to not accuse, to not throw the stone when we've been hit or persecuted or told off face to face by an ornery arrogant fellow believer or person 
And how can we not be that way to bully or get even? Let's get real now. So I think of the two scriptures, really three scriptures, when there was peaceful back in the garden, Genesis 1 through 3, when there was no, nothing but rest, nothing but provision, nothing but peace. All the relationships were simple and calm and enjoyable. But then after the mutiny in heaven, the serpent comes down, Satan the deceiver, the former worship leader, Lucifer, Beelzebub, and he comes down to the garden and he starts his evil work of accusation. So what comes into the garden is deception. It is twisting and perverting God's plan intentionally, but it is also based on accusation and mistrust. And so when Eve gets deceived, the devil, the serpent, uses accusation. Oh, God doesn't want you to be like him. God, it's how sneaky snaky is. All right. So she fell for it. However, Adam had been told by God personally and privately before Eve was formed back in Genesis 2. Don't eat that tree. So when Eve comes over in Genesis 3 and hands Adam the fruit and says, Here, honey, take a bite. Didn't do me any harm. You know, let's take it. It's really good. Adam, the firstborn son of mankind, chain of command, not a controller, but chain of command, authority. He had a relationship with God first, the creator. His wife was second, which is a principle that still stands. And then he should have pleased God first, put God first as top priority. But instead, the Bible teaches us that he wanted to please his wife. So he willfully, intentionally took the fruit out of her hand, put it in his mouth, chewed it up, swallowed it, and ingested it. And that's how sin happened. But it is deception and willful intention mixed with accusation. After that happened, God comes. Now let's watch this for teaching. God comes after them in an upfront confrontational fashion, much like Galatians 6, 1 in the New Testament, Matthew 18, 15, 1 to 1 up front. But he doesn't come as a, an authority, as the father, as the creator, the maker of all the world. He doesn't come accusing like the accuser because he's not an accuser. He comes, he's assessed that means he's watched it. He knows what went on, but he has to be rise up and confront and hold them accountable. But he doesn't come screaming or lecturing or berating or demeaning Adam or Eve. And frankly, he doesn't even talk to Eve. He goes out of respect for the office of the firstborn son to Adam himself. And he says, Adam, where are you? In other words, Adam, in my opinion, that hang time, Adam... You had a choice. Adam, what are you going to do with this? And Adam could have risen up, stood up and manned up, humaned up and said, Father, here's what happened. It happened on my watch. Eve was deceived. I willfully participated, but he doesn't do that. Instead, now Adam, the firstborn of all humanity, resembles the accuser. And he says to God, Oh, it was that wife he blames. He blames shifts and ducks in a void, which is a human trait right now to many. And he says, oh, that wife you gave me, that woman you gave me, she gave it to and made me do it. Like the devil made me do it, that old saying off a of TV years ago. 
So there's that resembling of the accuser versus the Messiah, refusing to stand up and human up. Genesis 4, the sin nature starts to take over and convulse God's creation when Cain, with his negative self-talk, the accusation of self, one of our ten relationships in the Bible that can resemble Christ or the accuser, Messiah or the accuser on a given day. In Genesis 4, you can see our, excuse me, onlinefellowship.us at the top, the ten Bible relationships as a reference. Well, that sin nature of accusation, self-talk, self-pity, contempt, resentment, competition, rivalry, because God favored Abel, his brother, his brother offering, his brother's offering more than his, and he rose up that jealousy, which the Bible later says is as cruel as the grave, he pondered and muttered and got himself so full of this hatred and vitriol that he went over and killed his brother. And it went down from there. And that's why the law had to be put in later on, much later on, the Ten Commandments, to protect society, relationships, the family, business, the nation, the society. And like I said, put a holy fear in the Lord for eternal judgment to come and afterlife. That's a basic scenario but we have good news that's the beginning genesis accusation comes in to mar and scar and ruin all right however we have good news great news in revelation 12 7 through 11 one of my favorite verses for right now it talks about the war up in heaven before genesis 3 it talks about the mutiny and how the devil himself the deceiver was cast down all right, then it talks about the reason. We need to teach this. Get that out. Revelation 12, 7 through 11, and go through it with your class. All right, here's what happened. Jesus came with his power and might and salvation to overcome. And he handed back what was lost and taken at the garden. At the garden, the peace, shalom, nothing missing, nothing broken in every home, office, business, ministry, you know, world, organic food and all that, food chain, mm -hmm. life, was ruined. With Jesus Christ's birth, accepting him in our heart, getting the power back through the Holy Spirit once we invite him in our hearts, the Savior, the fruit of the Spirit, including self-control, self-government, Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, meekness, temperance, self-government. Everyone has self-control from the fruit of their lips to the fruit of their actions. All right, it says, well, not everybody will do it, we know, but those who understand it and have go to God for help, his strength can have it. And it says that they, talking about as a prophecy but in the book of Revelation 12, verse 11, talking about the church, the real church, the true church of every part of those who invite Jesus into their heart around the globe. It says they were given back the power over him. They, they overcame him. Who's him? The accuser, deceiver, Satan. All right. They overcame him how? By the blood of the by the blood of the lamb shed on the cross, the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. That means it would take a supernatural grace, 
a supernatural strength which we have if we really want it, know about it. So it says, they overcame him. Who's him? The accuser. How? By the blood of the Lamb, inviting Jesus into their heart, accepting him. He forgives their sins, washes away, takes away the power of sin like it used to have that really controlled them, dominated them. All right, it says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony. They go to God to control their lips. They have the power to, to claim the word of God, to possess and prophesy God's word, as it were, you know, declare the word, but also live and conform to it without being hostile, without being religious, superior, or fighting. All right, they have the ability to overcome when they are persecuted as well. They love not their life unto death. We've heard of martyrs recently on the news almost every day. All right. There are martyrs you don't even know about that are going through abuse in somebody's house, putting up with it for the Lord's sake, violence. We read about it on the nightly news in Africa, Sri Lanka, you know, different places. The idea is people are, people are acting out in their passion and their cruelty because they have never had They've never had the strength to resist that from inside, the grace, knowing about it, or maybe they had pride. We don't know it all, but the idea is there, there are things we can remedy and good teaching, at least to the Christians. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony. They loved not their life unto death. Somebody said those little kids that got killed that day, a whole bunch of the Christians that half of them right before in their Sunday school they had said who would who's willing to die for the Lord and they all said yes or half of them said yes many of them said yes the children within a few minutes they'd been killed in church so they love not their life unto death there is a there is a living for Christ and there's a dying as a martyr but there's also a peril for living for Christ and not dying you're dying daily to self, to flesh, to your thinking, to to being persecuted, not being popular, whatever it is. There's such a there's such a teaching on that that could go out that could really transform and affect many people if you'll do it, if we'll do it. Because all of this ties back to relationship theology. All right, who's going to have the strength to be sweet? If you look on Revelation, excuse me, if you look on RelationshipTheology.org, our brand of Relationship Theology is Abiding James 3.17 Relationship Theology when you have Jesus in your heart. All the other groups can listen in, but I'm talking to the Christians, servant leaders. So that's why it's so helpful to know Jesus, really. It's practical. On our front page, home page, that is it in a nutshell. It says something like the paraphrase on abiding James three abiding James three seventeen relationship theology. No need to ever be disrespectful or mean. Simply abide in enduring James three seventeen. And what is James three seventeen? It says that any wisdom, any person who says they have God, God's wisdom, or any speech, or any words, or any actions, it says that the wisdom that really comes from above, any counsel, any advice, any prophecy, any teaching on television or media, 
any wisdom that comes from above it says, and here's our checklist, must be pure, peaceable, easily entreated, full of mercy and good fruit, without partiality and without hypocrisy. That is the role model for real James 3.17. The other part on our homepage of Relationship Theology is really, it says, the basic way of teaching minus the law in the churches is to read the relationships of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, while he walked the earth in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, the Good News, See how he acted and reacted to every kind of human represented. Everyone will tell you how Jesus did it, and that's all we need to do is follow his example. I don't see Jesus condoning or operating in hate speech. I don't see him operating in gender bias or putting down any race or creed. I don't see him disrespecting and dishonoring his mother Mary. I don't see him uh, with the fallen people. I don't see that he lectured them or condemned them or told the disciples to call them a harlot or Jezebel or whatever. I don't see over hierarchy. I don't see a lot of things that go on right now in life today. If you put hierarchy, you have to have some hierarchy if you have a church of any size. You have to have some kind of chain of command. I prefer that. That's a much better, safer term as chain of command. Then you just train people, discern the boundaries, discern who does what, and then respect the boundaries, and they respect you. All right? Chain of command is our type of ministry here because we are Apostle Paul-based, Galatians 1, 1, and 2, for our servant leadership. And it's authority based on Galatians 1, 1, and 2. It says, Paul an apostle sent out not by any one group or any one man, but those sent out by God and those that are with me, the brothers and sisters that are with me. And that's our ministry. So I think if you look at that, if you could take that as a brief aside and say, is that the same to the first church house to house? That means nobody was keeping track of who went to church or who didn't. They were, nobody said, I own those sheep. I, they're under my ministry. They were like house to house. That means they didn't, there were no nosy busybodies. They were too busy hearing God and being excited and telling the good news with the Holy Spirit power. All right, they hadn't set in with hierarchy and bishop worshiping and all that stuff yet. So let's go back to First Church where it's everybody hearing God, everybody's respected, you're a leader and a peer basically until you're proven otherwise, and if you're not mature, then, you know, shape up. And then if you feel led by the Spirit, you go to that place, and you have your church home, if that's how God is wanting you to do that. You have your church home, you're committed there, you serve there as long as God says and you never leave if you're critical. You just leave when God says, oh, time's up, and you're still loving them. And then you can go as a vitamin supplement, maybe if they don't believe in the Holy Spirit or music like you need it or special teaching that you think you need, you know, God shows you need, or have enough faith or vice versa, they're not calm enough for you, then you need to go commit, but then you're free to fellowship with the saints. You're free to go house to house 
and not make a big legalistic deal about it because a lot of families could be preserved. I know this could be helpful freedom because down in the grassroots, it's everybody's tradition. I belong to that church. I'm an Episcopal. I'm a Christian. I'm a, you know, I go Catholic. I'm a Baptist. I'm a a non-denominational. I'm a prophetic or whatever these are. And everybody says I'm locked in. That means I struggle with anybody that is seen at a different church that's not their own committed fellowship. That's the legalistic law that's locked into this United States of America. And that is why many people, the husband may be not for freedom in the Holy Spirit. The wife needs it because she's stressed because the children and the warfare, the husband doesn't understand that, you know, or the wife could be both. And so... She could go because the husband will finally at least go to some church. And then she will need more to keep going, you know, get more edification building up. And she can go to one at night when the husband says that's fine. You know, when they work it out between themselves. If you're a single, single parent, you'll need maybe something different here and there. There's nothing wrong with crossing the body lines. It's just denominational legalism. And people get so upset, especially the pastors, especially the ministers, and I think why? Not all of them. Not me. But I think why are the Christians so upset if they see a church hopper or somebody going to more than one church, two or three? Is it in the Bible, New Testament? No. It would fall under, yes, first church, fellowshipping with the saints, house to house, Hebrews 10.25. It would fall into body community, Ephesians 4, common doctrine. But why do they get upset, these people? When I look at the kinds that are upset that I have met, the legalistic ones about the only one church under a certain pastor, the big, the legalists, they need money. It's about money. It is about their tithe being on a regular basis so they can <laughs> have the freedom not to worry about it. And listen, we're, <laughs> we're the opposite we believe that if the Lord has made one body, we're not, we're a community. You need to go where you're sent. Nobody can fit in one house. Nobody likes the same style, basically. You go where you're sent, where your fit is, where you're celebrated, not tolerated. Take your tithe with you. But if the Lord says do it differently, so to the storehouse. Maybe you'll have two storehouses. Maybe you'll have three. Maybe one is not on land, it's on TV or it's media. When the Lord tells you that is your storehouse, I get fed. You feel that pull from the Holy Spirit, not from a person lecturing you that needs money. All right. Not from ministry manipulation. But if it's really God, then give your money where the Lord says and trust God that you've heard correctly. That's my ministry. I say people, if you, I mean, really, if you want to give, if you feel it, if you feel it in the anointing of the Holy Spirit to give today, give, give right now. PayPal, DFWLeader at gmail.com and online, online fellowship.us, top of the thing. If not, for your sake, give your tithe to the Lord, but go where the Lord pulls you into the right place because when you sow when you sow to the right place he multiplies it back and it is a grace not a formula but it's just a gift from god it's like mutual expression he gives you give you give he gives it's a gift but it keeps 
the people his work going it gives keeps the uh the work going and if you are a regular giver you're feeling led to regularly give it helps greatly to have just the relaxing quality that you can count on enough money coming in to cover the bases of the ministry the office the people that have needs to the salaries of the frankly you have to eat you have to have gas you have to drive all those things so that's our little PS for giving, but as a body, as Holy Spirit led, not because you feel guilty in your conscience. Back to relationship theology to the Christian. All right, if the Christian has it, that's what salt can mean in the earth in your family. So if we teach on abiding, not striving, but by God's help in his nature, being mature and abiding and teaching around the country about relationships as top priority over income, over meeting my needs and me being blessed. We want all the blessing. Yes, we want all the needs being met. But if we look at there is a relationship. <laughs> when we look at the relationships, the 10 Bible relationships on the top of onlinefellowship.us, one of them is with money. And I really do think that the relationship with money is the root of all evil. Now, the Bible teaches the love of money, not money itself, but the love, the craving, the dependency on money to make you happy or sad on a given day, to boast about it, to feel inferior about it. All right, it is a relationship. Money has a relationship. It will pull you. It will cause fights, disagreements. It'll show off immaturity, fear. A poor conscience, poverty, uh, pride, arrogance. Job 41, the Leviathan, the sneaky snake of superior pride. Read that one. That's a good one for diagnosing pride, the, the analogy to pride. So the idea is we want to work on this. We want to ask God's mercy and to lead us how to teach it, train it, about abiding in James 3.17. So if I would say the criteria for teaching would really mean the basics on the relationship theology homepage, even only. I put random articles up, but they're not always exactly what you would want. This is the main kernel teaching on the front. It says, abiding in James 3.17 relationship theology. You don't need to be disrespectful or mean when you're simply abide in James 3.17. That the wisdom of God is first of all pure, peaceful, easily entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. That isn't written on there, the verse isn't, but I just explained it. Go through every one line upon line. What is pure? No secret agenda. Not dirty. All right. Not going to harm you. What is peaceable? Hey, shalom, restful, relaxing, thriving, easily entreated, won't argue or get in a fist fight if they don't approve of your theology or the way you look or the way you act or your race or your argument. You don't have to win. Pure, peaceable, easily entreated, full of mercy. All right, grace, forgiveness. Full of mercy and good fruit. What are the fruits of the Spirit that Paul mentions in Galatians 5, 23? Love, joy. God's love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, meekness, temperance, self-control. All right. Without partiality, no racism, no cultural bias, no uh, gender bias, no age bias, no other kind of Christian bias. 
No national bias, no political bias. Hey, that's hard right there. God's going to need a lot of grace on that. <laughs> Otherwise, that will bring accusation. No big eyes, little use. No celebrity. No, um, no comparisons, denominations, divisions. And then without hypocrisy. Won't be two-faced, posing, putting on a front, uh, hypocrites. They say one thing, oh, you're, oh, good hell, welcome to the church today. Oh, we're so thankful you're here. And then they cut you down. All right, the other part, that's the first part on the homepage. The second one is read how Jesus acted and reacted in every single relationship in the Bible when he was alive on the earth in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and simply act that way. See how he acted in ministry to his disciples, to the people he met, the people that wouldn't receive him, the people that did. And how he acted personally with his Mary, his wife, his mother Mary, excuse me, his siblings and people who were just like the children, all these things. Personal life. And that's it. Then go for it. Teach on it. Revelation 11, excuse me, 12, 7 through 11 as well. I believe we're in I believe we're in that new day, that new miracle. I mean, we need miracles, but I think it's going to be uh, revelation dropped into our heart just when we need it. I believe that we're going to need more help and more power from above, from the Lord to have grace to be James 3.17, to grace to get this message out. So would you pray for us? Pray for me. We've had a lot of, uh, because I'm not into a big offering, please, and not weeping and crying, you know, about money. We really could use it. We really could use supporters, people who are faithful, and people who feel it, if you feel the pull of the Holy Spirit. And whatever amount, you know, it doesn't take but about, if you, if everyone, let's say, gave $3 whenever they tuned in, or whenever God told them, $3 on up, or $2 on up, multiply that with 100 people, or 1,000 people, or 10,000 people, and we'll have our needs met, can get out. And I want to be, God is really... Wanting me to get a new van, a new truck, that I can sort of go work with the homeless, stay out there with them, camp in it, but also travel around the nation as an evangelist, a Christian evangelist. And the Christian evangelist to all the different kinds of Christians is to them. To be an evangelist to the you-must-be-born-again Christians who've lost their way, who've gotten off into the wrong self-serving ministry doctrine, people-pleasing. And so, you know, that's not popular with a whole lot of you. But that's the need. And we're, we feel like we're supposed to go in, in 2020. But we're ready to go anytime when we'll move around and, and minister and uh, worship and do a lot of worship and get in with God and let God give the word of the Lord. I'm a present day daughter of Issachar, son of Issachar, who hears the, knows the times and the seasons. And I know our time is not up yet. This is not the end of all things. This is the time where we want to look up and maybe the devil's as mad as a hornet where you live. But we look up because our redemption draws now. But he's also bringing us to a new place that's good. That can be really good if we're in with the Lord. But if we have no fear of the Lord, if we're uptight, if we're a tightwad, if we're too loose, if we're too 
flaky. We don't even perceive the mind of Christ. We've lost touch with who he is, much less who we are. Then it won't be as easy or it may be impossible. You look around now and you think, who is really... And I'm not talking against any other religion or any other faith. No, I'm talking to a Christian. Who is really a Jesus follower? What does it really mean in this hour? Who is? Is it a people pleaser? Is it a... Is it simple? Is it complex? I think it is inch by inch. It's a cinch by the yard it might be hard because of the days we live in and the accusation so if I can do anything right now it's to free up Christ followers, ministers, anybody else who's been persecuted by a Christian or maybe being persecuted by a Christian now because of their false teaching of legalism, arrogance orneriness stubbornness, not easily entreated, not James 3.17, then let me do it. I'm going to talk on about it, James 3.17, and let you talk about it. This is a mantra. Why Nobody needs to be mean or disrespectful, angry and unthoughtful. All they need to do is get God's help to abide in James 3.17 and the holy fear of the Lord. A lot of people have no clue in ministry about Ephesians 5.21. It says, mutual submission in the fear of the Lord. That means in the home. That means in a couple. That means in fellowships. That means every Christian, black or white or brown. That means every ministry, every lay. Mutual submission in the fear of the Lord. That's how my mom and dad acted. There is no big lording over the woman, little woman, big man. No, not at all. It was equal. And then like in chain of command, if there was a tie, that you know, like, oh, they can't decide which one's here in God, you know, if they couldn't agree as a couple, then the man would make the tiebreaker. And that was simple. It wasn't a big deal. My grandmother was like that. Everybody I know that were friends are still like that. People are just normal, natural people. They don't struggle with the woman, the little woman should not, and the man, only the men can do. In my opinion, if you look at the the Jews over in Israel, I think the women are equal more than the Christians are over here. They're just, you know, they, <laughs> and I don't get off on that. But the idea is we're in a place we need to each hear God and be respectful and be responsible and be accountable to, we, to what we hear and other people in our relationships. If you have a tendency to spy sin, find fault with other believers and Christians and communities, then you need to know your relationship theology. Relationship theology is lost because it's more success, achievement, me, myself, my, my ministry, and no more. I need my miracle. And you do. But maybe your miracle's blocking because of you. Galatians 6.1 comes to mind. It says, if anybody overtakes anyone else in a fault, if the leader see somebody in sin, they're doing something they shouldn't. It says the leader is to go personally and one-to-one, confront them in a respectful, meek, mild fashion, humble fashion, just in case that leader later gets the same thing happen to them. So you don't want that. Matthew eighteen fifteen is another relationship missing verse. I'd say that James three seventeen, Matthew 15, go over and make a one-to-one -one appointment if you think they're sinning 
or they have sinned. Respectful, like God when he confronted Adam, didn't scream, respected Adam and was uh, up front with him, but was not lecturing, dominating, or fault-finding. Relationship preserving is what we're after and into, and so is God. Because this is the last day, and by your fruits you will know them. Your fruits of relationship, first church love, of, what is it, the Philadelphian love walk, the brotherly love walk church of Church of Philadelphia in Revelation 2. My aunt, she's up with heaven, my pastor aunt, female pastor aunt, she would always talk to me about, you need to forgive them. This is like 30 years ago. You need to forgive them. They know not what they do. You need to forgive them. Make sure that if your prayer and answer that you need, you have not, there's somebody who hadn't forgiven. I remember that. But she says, you want to be the, we want to be the love walk. And you know, she taught me this principle. She said, the Bible teaches us that if you see somebody in sin, you can ask God to forgive their sin and he will set them free from that sin for a time to let them choose to do right and let the Holy Spirit work. The only sin that you cannot do, forgive somebody's sin, is if they blaspheme the Holy Spirit, if they don't accept Jesus into their heart, that's their choice. But you can say, Father, they're sinning in that sin or adultery or they've sinned, to, they're mean and like crabby as hornets. Lord, we ask you to forgive them. They don't really see that. They don't have that, you know, they didn't. They forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. We ask you to forgive them. And Lord, we ask you you speak to them now that they're free from that sin. Ask you to go in there and speak to them and take the grave clothes off their eyes. Let them come under conviction and then turn from that sin by your mercy. So there are a lot of things going on that we don't know about, that we could know about, that we have not heard teaching. But I think if we go to 4, Common Doctrine, Ephesians 5.21, Mutual Submission, Ephesians 4 also has Everyone Walk in Meekness and Lowliness <laughs> and Enduring Love, Relationship Theology right there. If we know about James 3.17, if we know about Re Revelation 12.7-11, through 11, if we know about how God confronted Adam in the garden, he didn't scream at him or put him down, oh, that would make such a vast difference to the people who don't like think they want to know Jesus. It really would. So I'm submitting this to you. This is Tavo DRC of Tavo Creative Leadership by God's mercy because of his help only. <laughs> and the joy of the Lord is our strength. I will be uh, admit, you know, it is. So we ask that you have a blessed day and be protected and God loves you. And so do we. God bless you. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Favor ain't fair. God's favor isn't fair. You got God's favor. All right, bye-bye.